This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. It's that time of year when the team at Investec Asset Management publish their annual investment views. That's to share their outlook for the next 12 months. You can access all of these viewpoints by going to www.investecassetmanagement.com forward slash investment views 2019. But right now, I have Alessandro Di Corrado on the telephone now. He is portfolio manager for value at Investec Asset Management in London. And I've got this tantalizing brief, Alessandro, which says, 2019, is it the moment of truth? Is it indeed the moment of truth? Well, we'll see. But it could be. Uh, we're clearly seeing a lot of change in terms of the investment environment, if you want to call it like that. And it could be the year where people start to question maybe things that they've bought, the prices that they've paid, given that, that there's really big change in terms of monetary policy of the opportunity set. You know, bond rates are going up, and so all of a sudden... Maybe owning a long-term bond becomes a little bit more sensible than it used to be. In fact, what the thing is, I think the basic point here is that as a layman, I would say that easy money, in other words, almost zero interest rates in many jurisdictions around the world, plus lots of liquidity, has brought down yields. And therefore, people that are seeking yield, seeking higher returns, have to go to riskier assets than they would normally do so. So investors have been forced to reach for yield in those riskier asset classes. And now that is potentially coming to an end, and there are signs that it is coming to an end, then potentially those riskier assets assets are going to come under pressure and central banks are acting accordingly. Do you think that we are at risk for these riskier assets to come down? Well, I think that's absolutely right. It's not, it's not a given that everything is going to come down, but I think definitely when you're starting to raise a risk-free rate and the best alternative that people have, then it becomes a bit of a domino effect to say, oh, okay, well, hang on, I thought that this was interesting at this price and at this risk-free rate, and what about this and this and this? So you, know, you could see a repercussion through government bonds, corporate bonds, high yield, and then ultimately equities because it ripples through the whole, the whole valuation chain. So yeah, no, I think it's. I think that's that's exactly. I think you put it very well. People have reached for yield because there was a scarcity of obvious returns, and now we'll see how that unwinds and where it unwinds. Do you think the central banks will be as coordinated as they were with quantitative easing as they are now with the new phrase, which is quantitative tightening? In other words, Bank of Japan, ECB, U.S. Federal Reserve. Do you think they're all as one, and therefore we will see something that has played out over the last few years to the upside for riskier assets, to the downside for riskier assets in the next few years? Now you're getting me on the macro there, my least favorite subject, but um, I think it becomes very difficult for central banks to keep their rates as loose as they are with tightening Fed. So I don't think necessarily that central banks around the world want to follow the Fed, but I think ultimately they might have to because it creates currency imbalances, it creates imbalances in capital flows if you, if you have these massive discrepancies between interest rates across countries. So I'm wondering whether the Fed isn't a little bit forcing the hand of everyone else. I think ultimately we're going to see rates rise across the world. Yes, it's not just going to be the Fed. And you know, the Central Bank of England, the Bank of England has already started. The DCB is talking about reducing or ending its quantitative easing program. Bank of Japan is making the same noises. I think we're going to get there. I don't think they particularly want to, but I think it's going to happen anyway. Yeah, I think it's going to happen too. And 2019, you say in one of your points that you kindly sent me, 2019 is likely to be the moment of truth, as I said earlier on, where we will see 
clearly which asset classes have become the most distorted over the last decade. In other words, wasn't it Warren Buffett that said, when the tide goes out, we'll see who has been swimming naked. And of course, when there are naked swimmers, that means that people start to panic a little bit, run back to the beach, and there are opportunities. Geographically, you say, we see opportunities in emerging markets, Europe, including the UK and Japan. So although that we are talking a little bit cautiously at the moment, opportunities abound. Yes, I love that Buffett quote. I think it's spot on. I wouldn't say opportunities abound, but I think certain sectors have been particularly badly hit. Some have been hit a little bit, but but they ran out so much in the last 10 years that it's, it's they, you know, they've been hit a little bit, but probably not enough to bring them to an attractive level. I'm not talking necessarily about the big tech stocks. I actually don't subscribe to the view that they're, they're wildly overpriced. I don't think they're cheap, but I don't think they're wildly overpriced. But a lot of the consumer staples, healthcare stock that people that maybe don't grow that fast and maybe don't have the pricing power that they used to have 10, 15, 20 years ago, and people have just bought into as bond proxies. I think that's quite, in terms of stocks, I think that's quite interesting, but that is an area where valuations still need to come down. The interesting thing is you've had a real sell-off in a lot of the more traditionally cyclical stuff. So emerging markets, a lot of uh, industrial businesses, particularly anything auto-related, has been very, very badly hit. And that's because people are wondering whether tightening liquidity is going to have repercussions in the auto market. Of course, the auto market globally has been very good for some time. So now people are starting to worry about a cyclical recession as well as a tightening in, in interest rates. And then this is not a cyclical or industry-related opportunity, but we continue to see a lot of opportunities in UK domestic stocks. And that's really just about the fact that people don't want to touch the UK because of Brexit and because of the political uncertainty that you have there. Now, we tend to take the view that when people are this worried, the worst or a pretty bad outcome is already in the price. Uh, it's very always hard to say exactly what's in the price and or exactly if the worst possible outcome is in the price. But we think evaluations discount a pretty, pretty negative outcome already. And so we think there's a lot of opportunities there in the UK domestic market. Okay, so that's emerging markets, Europe, including the UK, Japan as well, before we go on to sectors. Tell me about Japan. It's an intriguing country, an intriguing investment opportunity. Yeah, the interesting thing about Japan is they, they have very, very good balance sheets. Obviously, it's a big generalization. A lot of companies have very, very strong balance sheets. And so when you start having a situation where people worry about companies that finance themselves imprudently, we like to say, you could have a decent performance in Japan. And Japan has other issues, corporate governance issues. You could argue that a lot of companies are not always run in the most efficient of ways. But when you value things on an ex-cash basis, so let's say a company has a lot of cash on the balance sheet and you assume that the cash gets distributed out to shareholders, then it becomes a lot of companies start to look very cheap. Now, the problem there is that very often the cash is not distributed to shareholders, so you need to start looking on a case-by-case basis. But as a starting point, you're looking at a company which has a very, very high number of very efficient, sort of very, very good industrial companies. They might be run on slightly inefficiently from a balance sheet point of view, but if you can find those that maybe don't quite fit that inefficient uh, model, then you can find some, some pretty good things. And evaluations are quite low. Let's go from geographies now to sectors. And you say we continue to find value in financials and industrials while there are early signs, early signs of opportunity in healthcare and also consumer staples. Can you expand upon that? Yes, yeah, so I really emphasize the early signs because the ones that have come down in uh, consumer staples and in healthcare are specifically the least 
promising candidates. So you're having companies that maybe made bad acquisitions and took on a lot of debt. Um, they have very low organic growth and they just used to be priced on 20 times earnings just because maybe they sell things that are considered a staple or because they're in the healthcare space, which is traditionally fairly, fairly stable. The first companies that have started to come down are not necessarily the most interesting ones. That's why I was saying earlier that a lot of other valuations still need to come down. But it is interesting that some of these are now making it onto our radar, whereas pretty much any domestic UK bank, a lot of European banks are priced at quite attractive valuations. Even the large US money center banks are actually quite quite attractive valuations. So that is a much, much more obvious opportunity set. And then in industrials, because it's such a big, broad area, uh, we were talking earlier about automotive companies, automotive suppliers, uh, they've come down a lot over the last six or seven months. And there are a lot of potentially interesting companies there. Anything that is feels a little bit cyclical has really been hit very hard. But of course, what we have to do is look at value and we have to look at quality as well. And uh, no matter what we've said, if a company doesn't have a sound balance sheet, then perhaps avoid it. And you say to that point, your last point being selection based on sound balance sheets will be increasingly important, avoiding those companies that leveraged up during these easy times. We are in a position now where we are having a look at an experiment that works quite well for risky assets, but is now being unwound and we don't understand how that unwinding might play out because we didn't understand what happened in the last few years. It had never been done before. So sound balance sheets, Alessandro, very simple. Yes, absolutely. Now, we do try and make a distinction. We we call them sound. We should really call them appropriate balance sheets because some companies can carry more debt than others. And the interesting thing, actually, in the last few months is that you've had anything that has a little bit of debt or a moderate amount of debt has been sold off very, very aggressively. Or a lot of companies that have a moderate amount of debt have been sold off very, very aggressively, almost without distinction for the capacity to service that debt. And so it's very important to go back in history, look at crisis, look at 2009, look at the early 2000s and how these companies managed to deal with the recessions at the time and see what the dynamics of the balance sheet are, what the dynamics of the business are, because sometimes the market worries about debt when it shouldn't, and sometimes it doesn't worry when it should. And so when we say sound balance sheets, we mean really a balance sheet that is appropriate for the business. It doesn't mean that we will completely avoid debt because sometimes opportunity comes with debt as well. So I guess it's the standard job of the analyst to, to, to figure that out, right? Of the investor to figure out what the company can bear in terms of debt. Alessandro, thanks very much for your analysis. That was Alessandro Di Corrado, Portfolio Manager, Value and Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.